Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome, everyone, to Inside the Cylinder, episode 104. This is David Fernandez, writer over at DetroitBadBoys.com, joined by my always reliable co-host and fellow writer at Detroit Bad Boys, uh, Matt Way. What's up, Matt? David, how's it, how's it going? We're, uh, we're recording Monday night, March 1st. March Madness is officially upon us, um, but I... I think the Pistons, the rest of the Pistons season is going to be less uh, less crazy maybe than March usually is. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to March Madness, uh, even though it's going to be a little bit of a strange year. Uh, but uh, I might even be taking a day off of work for the first slate of games or something like that. Just kind of need a reprieve from my day to day. And that seems like a good avenue to spend it just by watching a bunch of games and you know, it's March Madness, man. It's been a while since we've been able to experience it. So I'm actually really excited. And the Big Ten's really good this year. So there's a lot of good stuff to watch for. Definitely, definitely. And as a as a, a Michigan fan and alum, I'm uh, I'm extra excited this year for uh, for them. Joan Howard's got them playing uh, playing pretty good. I wouldn't mind having a couple of little seniors on uh, on the team next year. Is Wagner a first round pick? Because that's what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, I think he might be. End of the lottery. I, I think he's he's so versatile. He does so he does everything so well, um, and it, he's starting to shoot the ball better. He, he seems to me to be a, a surefire first round pick and and probably even a lottery pick. I think. Wow. Okay. Because I've only seen a couple of their games, and uh, one of them was uh, the Ohio State game, and he did not play particularly well in that game. So I was kind of like pretty surprised when I started to hear that those types of rumblings. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he, he has those moments, but he, he, he's such a force defensively, especially, um, which maybe surprises people when they, they hear that, but he really is. He's so long. Um, he's, he's definitely a better prospect than his brother. All right. Well, you heard it here first, or maybe you didn't, but, uh, let's talk about some real or current NBA players. Uh, so right now we are recording this. The Pistons are kind of in a free fall. Uh, they're nine and twenty-five. So I figured it was a good time because we're fast approaching the All-Star break. Uh, so a little bit past, like the or approaching the midway point of the regular season here, and um, you know it's a good time to sort of look at the landscape for where the Pistons stand in. 
I guess the lottery odds and where some of their, I guess you can call it competition towards the bottom of the NBA standings. This is kind of in vain or not in vain. This is kind of in um, like an ode to the the article that I have been writing a couple of uh, or a series that I've been writing for Detroit Bad Boys called Tank Commander, where you look take a look at some of the teams that are, are also struggling like Detroit and see who will be sort of remaining down there towards the bottom of the NBA's basement floor and who will be, you know, maybe climbing out of that and not in direct competition for one of those picks that, uh, you know, Detroit is certainly eyeing up with this being such a down year. So what we're going to do is just take a look at a few of the teams uh, and then we're going to go a lot heavier into the Pistons stuff. Um, but first and foremost, I don't think you can talk about bad basketball teams without bringing up the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are just in a, they're worse than Detroit, you know, so that, that says pretty much all you need to know. And Detroit has been losing a ton of games right now. The Timberwolves are seven in 28, uh, and they've had some issues. They've definitely had some, some Injury issues and some COVID issues, most notably Carl Anthony Towns missed a 13-game stretch in which the Timberwolves lost 10 games. They're also going to be without D'Angelo Russell for at least another two to four weeks as he uh, nurses an ankle. And then they're also, this is recent, uh, relatively recent, are going to be without Malik Beasley, who is going to miss the next 10 games due to his legal issues from the summer uh, in which he got in a scrap with a former Bronco. Um, so, uh, and also one thing to note, they fired their head co- coach, Ryan Saunders, last week, uh, and uh, they immediately replaced him with the Raptors assistant, Chris Finch. So I guess my question to you, Matt, in, in knowing that Detroit has fallen on their so their own hard times here recently, is there any way that... I guess the the Timberwolves, or I guess that Detroit outtanks the Timberwolves and finishes with the worst overall record this year. So you know, I think all of this gets um, all of this discussion gets conditioned on you know we're still playing through COVID nineteen and things have settled down significantly, um, obviously, but we're you know COVID could could take somebody out for the the year. And and certainly we hope that doesn't happen, Um, but it's kind of the reality that we live in. Um, You add that to the the typical injuries and there's there's always questions. Um, But when you look at what the Timberwolves are um, putting out on the court, um, not just in terms of the basketball, but the actual players, um, you have Carl Anthony Towns and then a whole lot of, you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, Anthony Edwards has certainly shown um, his potential, but he's he's very inconsistent. He's a rookie. Um, he's still extremely raw. You know, they're starting Jared Vanderbilt and Josh O'Kogie. Um, and even when, you know, D'Angelo Russell comes back and Malik Beasley comes back, you know, those are, are still going to be your lead guys off the bench. And so it's, it's going to be tough for them. I... I do. I. I don't think the Pistons are as bad as the Timberwolves, or e- even really all that close to it. Carl Anthony Towns is obviously the best player on 
um, or, or can be the best player on either team. Um, but they just don't have, have enough. Um, I see them losing a lot of games um, in the Western Conference this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think they are also incentivized. Now that they're at this point, they find themselves with this 7-28 record. They know that they're not going to be able to climb out of it. And they have a pick that is top three protected this year. So one thing to know is if you... The lowest that you can fall from your finish in the lottery is four spots lower than where you are. So the worst case scenario for the Timberwolves would be they finish with the worst record and they fall to the fifth pick. If that happens, then it goes to the Golden State Warriors as part of that D'Angelo Russell swap. Uh, So that is uh, certainly something that they've noted and probably they will do what they can to to keep that pick moving forward. And just because if they lose that pick, then this year will for sure have been probably one of the worst years in Timberwolves basketball history, not just because they're going to be a, a really bad team. And, and record-wise, it might be the worst team that they've ever produced. But at the same time, they're not even going to have any type of compensation or a light at the end of the tunnel in, in getting one of these sort of difference-making types of guys to pair with what they consider their two stars of the future in Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, I really don't see the Timberwolves making any type of significant movement up the standings by any means. So I would expect them to stay down there as well. Yeah, you might even see them like move Ricky Rubio, um, you know, if they are winning too many games. Um, yeah, I think that covers the Timberwolves pretty well. Um, the next uh, next on the list is the Houston Rockets, um, perhaps known best by Pistons fans as the team who paid Christian Wood this year or this offseason. Um, he was he's been out for the last eleven games though. They've looked like a lot a completely different team really without him. Um, they've they've lost each and every one of those games. They have guys like like Victor Oladipo and PJ Tucker who are, are going to be trade um, trade bait um, or, or, or trade targets for for better teams, I think. And, and you would expect the Rockets at this point with their rebuild to to be sellers. And they only keep their pick if if it lands in the top four of this year's draft. Um, so, David, do you think the the Rockets are going to end up as a bottom four team this year? I guess the one thing that surprised me that came out, it might have been today or yesterday, was that the, the Rockets did extend a two-year, $45 million contract extension to Victor Oladipo, uh, which was rejected. It looks like Oladipo is looking for a longer-term deal. I had heard on ESPN's podcast that he really wants to become a Miami Heat, so uh, I don't know if he just doesn't want to stay with the uh, the Rockets just in general. It's if they do end up keeping him, I could see Christian uh, like that sort of I guess core of Christian Wood, Victor Oladipo, and John Wall doing enough to win some games to maybe finish as a bottom five team. They had a they were doing some things before Christian Wood went down. They were ten and nine, and they were had one of the best defenses in the NBA. Um, and they really looked like they were sort of unified as this sort of cast-off group of players 
who all have some sort of star potential, or at least were stars in, in a former life like Victor Oladipo and John Wall. So it wouldn't necessarily surprise me to see them go on a little bit of a run if those guys all are healthy and they don't trade away Victor Oladipo. I don't see P.J. Tucker sticking with this team, and he is really a big glue guy for their group. So it's hard to say. They're the ones for me that are, are almost the hardest to read, but at that same at the same time, just like the Timberwolves, and you mentioned it, Matt, they, are, they should be incentivized to lose this year because if they don't, they're going to lose that pick. So... And it should be noted, too, just because you finish with the bottom four record doesn't mean that you're going to get a top four pick. That's the way that the lottery odds are sort of stacked nowadays. So it, it seems almost like a coin flip if they're going to be able to even keep the pick. But at the same time, if you are a team that is truly rebuilding towards the future, as they've signified when they traded away James Harden, you would think that they would want to, to lose more games and move on from those guys. But yeah, it was surprising just to even see that they were offering Oladipo because that says to me that they don't want to trade him and that they know that if they have him on the team, they're going to be better immediately and they might not be able to keep that pick. So it's kind of hard to read, but the fact that they've lost 11 straight games, probably going to be sellers probably now that Oladipo rejected that offer going to to trade him away and then kind of just hopefully hit the reset button if they're able to to keep that pick. So yeah, I would say that they're probably going to be, you know, sellers and and remain one of these bottom teams. Yeah, that that, that seems right to me as well. Um <clears throat> they have a couple of pieces. I I'll tell you that whenever I watch the the Rockets, the one guy that I really like um the, they've been playing a lot of minutes is Jason Jason Tate. Um, he's kind of like a smaller Draymond Green in some ways. Um, or, you know, he's not as skilled as Draymond, but he's a really good passer. Um, he's he's just a tough guy who plays way above his height and weight. And uh, you know, I, I think he's a he's a nice fit with Christian Wood, um, especially like in the, in the lob game with how he can 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 pass the ball. So I think they 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 have some. Some stuff there that they can build around, and I, I, I just have to imagine that they're going to want to do that um, rather than just going to run it back or run it with these kind of they kind of have a motley crew right now, kind of like what the Pistons have been for years. Yeah, and it's probably just time for them to look for the future, just because. When you have that many bites at the apple and you don't get it, it's just what happens. You see it in every single sport, uh, and it just seems like it's there. They're on that track. They're, it, it's their timeline to really hit this reset button. And they're not, uh, they're, they're pretty, they don't have a lot of picks coming up for them. So keeping this pick would be pretty important, especially with how loaded the top four picks are in this draft. Uh, so let's move on to the Sacramento Kings who have lost 10 of 11 games. I am surprised that Luke Walton hasn't been fired yet, but uh, it is the uh, it doesn't seem like he is going to be keeping his position for much longer, especially if they aren't able to turn this around. They've lost 10 of their last 11 games, with their sole win coming against Detroit on Friday night. Matt, speaking of Detroit, can you, and I know you know some more of the, some of the analytics a little bit better than I do. Explain to me the end of that game when they were missing free throws on purpose, when if they would have hit the free throws, 
they would have at most been down three points. Well, unless the the I don't, all right. So yeah, the Pistons missed free throws to end the game on purpose because if they would have got the ball back, they would have been down one with the ball. But they didn't need to do that, and it was really confusing to see them do it twice, especially it's such a hard play to convert on. Can you explain that to me? I don't mean to divert too much, but that was that was mind-boggling to me. No, it was. I saw um, Dwayne Casey said, or yeah, I guess I read that Dwayne Casey said after the game um, that the first free throw, the Josh Jackson free throw, which was the one that was really kind of out there, was just miscommunication between he and Josh. Um which I guess can happen. I, I hate. I'll tell you. Just I don't. I'm, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I hate when people just like throw it, throw the ball at the rim like that. Um, and st- I mean, Josh. That's kind of how Josh Jackson shoots sometimes. But um, like, just not not as a natural a shooting motion as as normal. Um, but yeah, the the second one was a little closer maybe I don't think the Pistons had any timeouts at the at that point which is a factor but I think there were still like maybe seven seconds or so um which is definitely enough time to follow and, and get the ball back down even without a timeout so I would not have have missed either of those intentionally um it frankly it felt like something that the Kings would do not the Pistons yeah it looked like something it, it... From what we've seen out of Detroit, they don't seem like they purposely want to lose games. That was one of the first instances where it's like, did they even want to win this game? It, it was a, it was a wild one. But uh, yeah, do you have any idea what's going on in Sacramento? I know they've been they had missed Marvin Bagley for a pretty big stretch of games uh, earlier this season, but it just seems like this team hasn't been able to hit the right stride and be able to sustain winning at any type of meaningful clip, even though they were just a couple of years ago one of those fun young teams that was kind of on the up and up and up and up that you were expecting to possibly crack uh, the playoffs, especially this year when it was uh, they've expanded it to the play-in tournament. So, do you have any idea of what's going on in Sacramento, or is it just a, a case of not a really good team, young guys, and they're just not there yet? Uh, yeah, I think it's a lot of that. Um, if you look at, I'm, I'm looking at the um, basketball reference summary page for this year, and the Kings are 10th in offense, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, De'Aaron Fox has been really good. Buddy Heald's obviously a, a great shooter. Harrison Burns has been pretty good. Um, and, and frankly, Rashawn Holmes has been good, as we saw against Detroit. Like, he really gave Detroit fits. Um but they have by far the worst defense in the league. So their defensive rating by basketball references calculation is 119.5. The Pelicans, who we saw just how bad their defense can be recently, and the, and the Blazers are tied for second to worst at 116.4. So they're a full three-plus points worse per 100 possessions than the next worst defenses in the league. Um, and it's just – it's tough to win games like that. You, you just – you have to play defense on some level because NBA players, even the worst offensive NBA players, are still good offensive players, and they're going to score points if you just don't play defense. Yeah, and that has to be a historically bad NBA defense. Like, the, I think 119.5 points – per 100 possessions for an offense would be 
near you know the top 15 of, of all time uh, if you were to keep that going. So that's the type of they're essentially going up against one of the best offenses of all time every time they step out on the floor, which is pretty impressive to, to say the least. I, I don't necessarily know. Yeah, you're right. How you can sustain any type of winning if you're going to be allowing that many points uh, it, per game and per possession. So yeah, it does look like Sacramento. At least for them, I do believe they they have the rights to their pick this year outright. So they're not in one of these situations like the Rockets and Timberwolves where they have to be concerned about a, a finish. But uh, at the end of the day, this is not where they saw themselves at the beginning of this season. Even though maybe people in the NBA media had expected them to be as poor as they are. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think they... They they can get better certainly, um, and if and when Luke Walton gets fired, you have to imagine that. That I mean, I've watched a lot of uh, a decent amount of the Kings this year, probably more than I should admit on a on a podcast. Um, but they the effort level just isn't there, and I, we saw we actually saw a little better effort level than usual um, against the Pistons, but. Um, you know, you get a coach in there that they like and that they want to play for, and, and that could, could turn around pretty quickly, I think. Um, moving on, you know, a team that's kind of gone the, uh, the opposite way, especially with their defense, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are 13-21. and 21. They just had a 10-game losing streak, but they followed it up with a three-game winning streak. They've got um, former Detroit Piston Andre Drummond, who is on a – Blake Griffin pause, we can say. Um, they're just waiting to move him and not playing him. Um, or is that an Andre Drummond pause? Is it is Blake Griffin on the Andre Drummond pause? Yes. Either way, we um, are trademarking that tonight. Um, just just an FYI for those all uh, for, for our listening audience. Um, they've been without Kevin Love pretty much all year. Larry Nance Jr. has been out. Um, you know they they do have their their two young guards and Isaac Okoro is 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 looking good. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on the Cavs, David, and and how they they might look for the rest of the year? I think what's good for the Cavs is that pretty much anyone under the top three teams in the Eastern Conference are really sort of stacked in there right now. The Celtics haven't been winning games. The Toronto Raptors started out their season pretty abysmally. They were actually in, they were one of the bottom four teams when I first wrote this uh, Tank Commander piece last month. So they've been able to turn it around to a decent extent. But I think what's good for them is that they are not far away, just like what we talked about uh, with Jake last week, like the Orlando Magic, from being in that play-in tournament or even you know, possibly not having to play in that tournament. So I think I've seen enough from the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I am a big Colin Sexton supporter. I, I wasn't necessarily at first, but also he was young. He was a rookie. He was thrusted into the starting lineup uh, when he came out. So he had a lot of learning to do, and I think that he's really impressed me so far this year. I think once they get Larry Nance Jr. back, it'll be a big bump for them. He's a guy that plays a lot of minutes for them and does a lot of things that you know might not pop on a, a box score, but he's an important player for them. So I think that they're probably the team of this whole entire list that I am the most high on, not just because I like some of their individual pieces, but at the same time, I think that they're going to be able to take advantage of 
some of these teams that are still finding their way in the Eastern Conference and win enough games to not finish for sure with like a bottom four record in the NBA, but also maybe even get themselves into that play-in tournament because they want to get in the play-in tournament. They've been rebuilding for a while now, so they are looking to take the necessary steps uh, and not skip steps in, in the process. So, uh, you know, by making a silly trade or, you know, taking on a player with a bunch of money, um, they did it with Andre Drummond, but that was the kind of a low risk, high reward type of situation last year. So I'm I'm a little more bullish on the Cavs and they have won their last three games. So I do think that uh, they are going to be able to put it together to get themselves out of this sort of NBA basement and make themselves somewhat of a contender for that play-in tournament, for the actual playoffs if they're able to get out of that play-in tournament uh, once we hit the sort of, I guess, last third of the of the season this year. What about yourself? No, I, I think that's all fair. Um, you know, when Larry Nance Jr. comes comes back, that's that's a he's a he was a big part of what they were doing defensively a lot. Andre Drummond got a lot more credit than I thought he deserved. Um, not that he was playing like poorly early in the year, but Larry Nance Jr. is kind of the guy that keeps them together and you know that the nature of a guy like Colin Sexton is that you know, he is going to have these stretches where he is just kind of unguardable and is going to win you games like he won that Nets game for them earlier in the year. And that's going to keep them uh, – it's going to keep them in the, in the playing race, I think. He also has the personality of someone that does not like to lose and that is sick of losing and that is sort of stubborn enough to think that they're going to be in every single game and that he's going to be a big part of that. So and I love that when I see that in a player and I love that, that about Colin Sexton. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, that they'll certainly find their way out of this situation. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting cut. What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. But that brings us to the Pistons, who, like I said, have plummeted recently. Uh, they've lost six of their last seven games, and they got pounded by the Knicks this past Sunday. Uh, so the things have, have definitely tailspin in Detroit um they're in some games they're losing close games which we've talked about earlier in this season uh but at the same time they're also looking even less impressive in certain games uh it seems like they'll have a couple good games and a couple really bad games and earlier this year we were talking about how even in each one of their losses they were still 
pretty damn competitive throughout the course of a given game. So it seems like they are certainly hitting that that stretch where they definitely need the all-star break to come. But at the same time, I I think the talent gap, which you have mentioned before, Matt, is definitely uh, it's rearing its ugly head. And I, I don't really see a way for the Pistons. I don't think we're going to be having one of those conversations anytime soon where we're saying, are the Pistons winning too many games? Because ever since that conversation sort of ticked up a few weeks ago, the Pistons have really just fallen on hard times. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I think a lot of it is due to Dewan Wright's absence, frankly. Um, there's just not and, – and we'll talk about how this kind of plays out in, in a second, but there's just not a whole lot of space to operate in the paint for anyone right now without him. Um, and it's 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 been some ugly offensive games. They've played a couple good defenses, but um, they've played some bad defenses too and not looked great. In that regard, um, but but since Delon Wright has gone down, we we've gotten to see a lot of Dennis Smith Jr. and some really good stuff from from Saban Lee. I think um, David, what have your impressions of those two guys been? I've been well. I've been extremely impressed with Saban Lee. Obviously, but let's talk about Dennis Smith Jr. first. When he first started getting playing time in Detroit. It was like a five-alarm fire if you were part of the Smith Jr. family. Like It did not look good for his NBA future. And while he does some things that irritate me, like I'll see him do some of these no-pass possessions, I'm going to shoot a three when there's 20 seconds left on the shot clock, that stuff is irritating, and, and I think that that can hopefully... I don't know if it can be coached out of him. I think that he needs to realize that that's not a good possession. The first look is not the best look. Uh, but in general, I think he has been able to turn it around. And he's had put together some impressive performances. His most impressive game for Detroit was against the Kings this past Friday. Uh, over his last five games, 11 points, 4 assists, 3 boards. He's shooting 42% from 3, but he's only shooting 50% from the free throw line. So I don't necessarily think that that's going to to stick but what he has shown me is that he doesn't turn the ball over a lot he's got a four to one assist turnover to turnover ratio and i think he's generally being smart with the ball but he just doesn't necessarily have it doesn't seem like he can sustain it enough to where you're going to be saying hey you know the pistons are for sure getting really good point guard play when you combine dennis smith jr and Saban lee but i have been impressed that he's been able to turn it around um, even to this degree just because it did not look good when he first got to Detroit. It might have been a conditioning thing, but um, yeah, the, the, I've been pleasantly surprised, although I haven't. it hasn't like blown my socks off watching Dennis Smith Jr. play so far. Yeah, I, I feel a lot of the same. You know, I said on the podcast, I think two weeks ago maybe, um, that the role that I saw Dennis Smith Jr., moving forward in um, for his own sake was kind of an Eric Bledsoe type role. And it seems to me that he's, you know, I, I'm sure he didn't listen to that podcast, but he he has kind of embraced that type of role. Um, you know, the thing that stood out to me is just how tenacious he's been defensively, um, putting pressure on guys in the way that you kind of see Eric Bledsoe do. He's, he's not going to be a great defender because he's he's kind of a, a T-Rex, um, but 
he he really has has made some some stuff happen defensively just by just by having high effort um, when he when he's especially like when they're bringing when opponents are bringing the ball up to court. Um, you know, the, my my biggest concern I think remains that he's just a a really poor finisher. You see him get into the paint. Um, and and he wasn't even doing that early on, but he he's done a lot more of that now. Um, and you you see him get there, and then he's just stuck, and he he gets his shot blocked a ton. Um, you, you'd like to see him maybe pick up his dribble a little little quicker and use some of that more raw athleticism, um, like we saw the other day with that big dunk he had, um, which was you know his his first dunk in a year, which is is really hard to believe. Yeah, on his defense, he I I agree that that he's been a pleasant surprise on that front in certain regards. I, I think that I've liked him when he's been in trapping situations. Uh, he seems to have sort of a knack for getting his hands on balls, which is a pleasant surprise. I think he's averaging nearly a block a game over his last five games too, which is really impressive for a, a point guard for sure. So he's done some things that that I've been. As I said, pleasantly surprised, but when this is your backcourt, it certainly doesn't ring backcourt of the future or, or point guards of the future. But at the same time, it's been um, it's certainly better than how he started it off his tenure in Detroit. I guess after watching him for more of like a get comfortable within Detroit's system and playing more games, playing more minutes, do you think that there's an avenue where Detroit's going to bring him back after this year, or do you think that it's still TBD and we'll see how the rest of the season plays out? Um, I, you know, I think it's definitely to be determined, but it would surprise me. Although you heard Dwayne Casey after, I think it was the Kings game, maybe, um, but it was recently, say something to the effect that, that you know, Dennis Smith Jr., they see him as part of the future. Um I'm not really, sh- I'm not really seeing it myself, um, you know, with, with Killian obviously and, and Saban Lee and, and then you have, you know, DeLon Wright as a combo guard. I don't know that you really need another point guard unless you, you know, add someone like as a two-way guy. Um, so I, I would definitely be focusing my efforts elsewhere if I was Trey Weaver, but I'm not. Um, and, you know, we know that Dwayne Casey, you know, he likes his, he likes certain types of, of ball handlers. That's kind of how he's always been. Um, and, you know, maybe he just sees something in Dennis Smith that he really likes. But I, I, I don't expect Dennis Smith Jr. to to be here after this year. What about you? Yeah, it, it's, there's just hasn't been enough for me where I've seen, uh, he hasn't played as well as another guy we're going to talk about in Josh Jackson. He hasn't pl- he hasn't put together that many solid performances to where it's like, oh well, we really found we really hit on one of these reclamation project types of guys. So until he can be a little bit more consistent, uh, then I might change my tune. But for now, it does seem like we are actually very close to having a serious logjam at the point guard spot. Kind of depending on how the Pistons play out the. Uh, the trade deadline and what if Killian Hayes ends up returning, but it does seem like that might be coming a little bit 
quicker just because the season seems to be moving by really quickly. Uh, let's talk about Saban Lee, though. You had mentioned, or I guess just in general, he's obviously kind of won over a lot of Pistons fans recently. He's won over me. Uh, I've been extremely impressed with what I've seen from him. I'm interested to see what you think about Saban Lee and sort of his future, I guess with the team immediately, not necessarily long-term, but you know, just for the rest of the season, just knowing that he's a guy that is on a two-way contract. And right now, the Pistons don't have the roster spot for him. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think, number one, he's the the prime candidate, candidate to get a full contract once Blake is bought out. Um, so I think that's one avenue that he gets a full contract. Um, Dwayne Casey's also mentioned in the past that there, he, I think the Pistons have this thought that, and I don't know how pervasive this is among the league, that because of COVID and, and all the complications that have come with it, that they're going to give some extra um, extra allowance to these two-way guys, which would, would certainly help. Um, in, in my mind, like, Saban Lee has shown enough in a very short stretch that you have to find a spot for him. You have to find minutes for him, frankly. He's he's so super quick, which we knew. Um, but I'm really always struck about how just how under control and how patient he is um, and how well he uses his speed and quickness. He really looks to create for others before himself. You know, he's kind of a, a, a throwback point guard in, in a lot of ways. And he's just a ton of fun to watch and I, I can't wait um for for him to just land one of these dunks finally yeah i think we're all waiting twitter will blow up for sure at least my feed will when that happens but uh one thing that's really impressed me with Saban lee he's small but he uses his body really well when he's getting into the paint like he has a knack for getting his body on a guy, creating separation, and finishing at the rim. He's shooting 60% from the floor in his last 10 games. Uh, 50% from three, I don't buy that because he's also not a good free throw shooter. 55% from the line. But his ability, he reminds me a little bit of Ish Smith in a sense where he can get in anywhere he wants to get. Like He can get himself deep into the paint. He's not the shooter that Ish Smith was because Ish would have that nice little mid-range jumper, a little fallaway jumper that he was really good at hitting once he did find some space in the paint. But he's better, much better at finishing at the rim. And he's a bunch he's a good athlete. Ish Smith is actually a pretty good athlete himself. But Saban Lee's a, a different le- level athlete and just that ability to, to get into the paint, find himself deep where he looks like he's in the trees and still finish some some of these attempts has been really, really impressive for me. And he's not forcing it like you said. He's not he doesn't get there and panic and decide I need to throw something up. If he's trapped, he's trapped. Then he'll look for somebody. And then lots of times he has been good at finding a cutter for an easy look. So I've just been really impressed with his vision, his ability to finish, and just kind of the maturity that he has about him, especially for a two-way guy. You don't see too many guys with that type of composure um, You know, as he's getting thrown into to the lineup and just be able to handle the pressure and hit big shots and make meaningful plays. Um, so I've been super, super impressed with Saban Lee. And, and yeah, I am also on the, the, you know, I guess the train where I would love to see him 
get more minutes and get converted and become a regular rotation piece uh, and not have to kind of look at the game log and, and see how many of his uh, games he has left when it comes to that two-way deal. So that is, uh, yeah, Saban Lee has just been uh, an insane bright spot. He actually, with all of the success that I've seen from Troy Weaver when it comes to 16, Isaiah Stewart, 19, uh, uh, Sadiq Bay. 38 Saban Lee. It almost makes me even more and more excited about what he saw in Killian Hayes and what that might look like down the road. But yeah, just everything that that I can't really say enough good things about Saban Lee because he's just been a, an extreme bright spot and has well overperformed to I think what anybody would have expected from him this year. Yeah, that's all very well said, and I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Killian Hayes part because I think about that all the time. Frankly, um, you know it. I think it's absolutely true. Um, it definitely gives me even more confidence. I, I never, I never like lost confidence in, in Killeen, even though he, you know, he had a couple. You know, what he played six games, I think, and, and he had a, a bad six games in a lot of ways. But um, no, I, I totally agree with that. I'm, I, I can't wait to to see him play some some basketball for for the Pistons again. And it sounds like Killian Hayes might be returning soon. It's. Dwayne Casey had a quote where he said something about in, in like a, he's like shooting now, he's moving around now, Killian Hayes, that is. I don't necessarily know what that fully means, other than obviously I know he's getting shots up. But it does, he said something along the lines that like it could be as in a couple weeks that, that they're, I don't know if they're necessarily talking about bringing him back or if that just means that they're going to be having him participate in three on three or like five on five or something like that. But it, it does seem like this. He, he's going to be coming back this season, and then we're going to be looking at possibly four point guards that are going to want to see minutes and that have been, at least while they've been available, been regularly seeing minutes. I, that makes me wonder, do you think that the Pistons are, I guess, a little more, not necessarily aggressive, but at least amendable to, to picking up these phone calls about DeLon Wright? Are they act, do you think they might be actively looking to move him just because they are going to be having a logjam here at the point guard spot moving forward? I I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure that if they got the right offer, they would, they would take it for him. Um, but we've already seen like how, how much the, the roster needs can fluctuate within, you know, 30 games or whatever we're at, we're at right now. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too far into that, especially when you have a guy like Delon Ray who can play, the two certainly, and you're not getting good minutes from Svee, um, and and Wayne Ellington is not shooting well. So, um, I and and you know Dwayne Casey trusts Delon Wright, and and he he's he's played for him, and Delon Wright said when he, he came here that he want, he he's been trying to get to Detroit for a while. So, I I don't you know you, you're always going to take um, calls and and you're gonna you're gonna pull the trigger if it works for you, but I. I don't think that they're they're really looking too hard at moving to on right, or at least I wouldn't if if I were Troy Weaver. Yeah, and what I've heard from some of the more general NBA pods, um, the ESPN one again, because I listen to too many basketball podcasts. Uh, it sounds like what I've heard from some of the the ESPN guys is that Detroit might be the team that's sort of just standing pat with who they have and not going to be like outright sellers 
come the trade deadline. So, yeah, there's certainly a world. And it, it should be noted that the Pistons have played their best basketball when DeLon Wright's been playing well and and being and as the starting point guard. So it's not like we haven't seen it's not like his absence is not correlated to how poorly the Pistons have been playing. They certainly could use that sort of steady rock uh that was DeLon Wright. And um so yeah, I, I guess I, I I was thinking that there might be an avenue to where they're going to more aggressively look to move him, but at the same time, good points about, you know, sort of the I guess how tumultuous this year has been so far and the need for bodies just because it's been, you know, you're missing guys left and right all across the board, right, all across the league. Yeah, definitely. And, the, the you know, I, I think there's something to just wanting to keep the team competitive, like, like not competitive in the sense of winning a bunch of games, but but not just laying down and and giving your your rookies and your young guys a bunch of meaningless minutes, like you want those minutes to mean something. And Delon, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. and and Stephen Lee have been been good, but Delon Wright's ability to to shoot and and drive and, and put pressure on the rim um, is a, a whole different ball game than what you get from from Saban and um, Dennis Smith Jr. So that. The, the, the paint has been noticeably crowded without him, and it, it's really, I think, hurting a, a number of guys um, as a result. Certainly. Well said. So the next guy on our list to talk about is uh, Josh Jackson. I feel like we've talked about him a lot, but he's been uh, definitely noteworthy all year long. He's uh, he stayed on the bench um, despite there being this – this kind of extra need in for offense in the starting lineup. Um, Dwayne Casey talked about it a little bit um, the other day, um, and Rod Beard tweeted this out. Um, he said, Dwayne Casey said, that's one of the reasons we have him at that position, talking about Josh Jackson as a reserve. He could probably start on most teams. I, I don't know that I agree with that last part, um, but I've been doing a lot of <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about this uh, lately, and I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion, Dave. Um, it it seems to me that you know they probably see Josh Jackson as the sixth man type of guy moving forward. Um, you know, you see Saban Lee maybe as as the backup point guard moving forward, and despite some of his. Like, even after a couple of his good games, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. still started. Saban Lee finished a couple of those games. Um, do you think there's there's something to that in in really keeping guys in the roles that, that maybe you see them moving forward for your team? I don't because I think we've seen enough guys who have kind of gone across their careers being starters, coming off the bench, and still being – productive and still you know sort of finding their avenue within whatever type of rotations that they're in um, consistently so I, I don't necessarily think that he needs to be coming off the bench that he needs to sort of self-identify as that six man the one thing that that really makes me think that is Josh Jackson now he's shot the ball poorly his last time's gains he's only shooting 19 percent from three that's probably a big reason why 
he is coming off the bench too is because he's just not providing the spacing that's necessary. He doesn't he's not shy in shooting the ball, that's for sure, but at the same time, uh he's probably not providing the spacing that you would need out of your starting shooting guard right now, but what makes me want to counter that is that he's only playing 27 minutes per game over that same stretch. He, so he's getting consistent minutes, but he is one of the Pistons' most dynamic or not necessarily dynamic, but most effective scorers. He's, you want to talk about putting pressure on the rim. Josh Jackson gets his ass into the paint and finishes in clogged paints. He is a really good athlete. He's a lot bigger than, uh, you know, he's six foot eight. He's long and athletic. And he also usually does make the right decision when he is down there, whether he's going to shoot or pass. So I think he does a lot of good things for this team. But at the same time, if you are starting him, he's most likely going to be over that 27 minutes per game sort of clip that we've seen him at. And I think that Detroit could use more minutes with Josh Jackson just because one of the biggest issues with this team during this stretch of a lot of losses is that their offense has just not been good enough to compete. So, And he's one of your best offensive players. So that's the reason why I would say... Hey, you know, if you're not getting it out of Svee, if you're not getting out, you certainly haven't been getting it out of Wayne Ellington recently. I don't see there being any harm in getting him in the starting lineup and at least seeing what it looks like. It's not like you're writing this down in stone. You know, it's not something that you have to hold yourself to for the season moving forward. He doesn't have that type of ego where you'd have to worry about taking him in and taking him out of, of a starting lineup. Um, so I, I think that there can't really be much harm in seeing what it looks like, uh, and just because I would want to see more minutes with him on the floor because I think he does good things on both ends of the floor and he's not unplayable on defense. He's you know one of Detroit's better defenders at least on the wing. So yeah, I just want to see more Josh Jackson, and I think that that might necessitate being in the starting lineup. Um, yeah, I totally get that. I I. Th- I think I I feel like I've seen more of the old Josh Jackson lately. Um, he seems to be keeping his head down a lot more and and not um, and and just forcing things a little bit more. Um, you know, which which may just be a product of there being less talent on the floor in general. Um, but he's uh, he's definitely a useful player. You, you just like to see him make some better decisions you know at that at this point of his career you know he might be you know it might just be uh, the case where, where he, he kind of is what he is uh, in on some level um but in the the one thing that I really like that he does for the offense um and, and I don't really know you know how how best to incorporate this in terms of lineups but he just pushes the ball so well and he he sees guys up the floor and when they have position down low and semi-transition better than I think anyone on the team. Um, he's, he's like one of the only guys who's really hit Seku in those, those spots, which is, you know, like the one time that Seku is, is in really advantageous positions this year. And we've seen a bunch of guys miss him, but Josh Jackson in, in the open floor, that's when he does have his head up and, and he does, does a good job. Um, so I, I think you would like to see him maybe incorporated with some more shooters and some more guys who are going to run the floor, um, and, and maybe that that comes in a variety of ways. But 
Um, you know, that's that's definitely the way that I see Josh Jackson or, or maximizing Josh Jackson's offense, I think. Do you think that he should be playing more minutes? Um, I don't think he's earned more minutes right now. Um, his his shooting numbers are, are, are pretty rough right now. He's I don't have his turnover numbers in front of me, but it seems like he's turned the ball over a lot more recently. I'm I'm good with him coming off the bench and, and playing that, you know, the, the 25 to, to 30 minutes. I don't think you you ever really want to get him too much over um, over 30 minutes. Do, do you do, do you think that sounds about right? I you know I just said that I think that I'd like to see him north of 30 minutes per game and I think that that might necessitate coming out of the starting or playing in the starting lineup but with that being said there have been moments in games where and I've tweeted about this where it's just kind of been Josh Jackson tunnel vision where I I like it when he's able to get into the paint and then kind of make decisions from from that point once he kind of has defenses on their heels but then there's times where he doesn't have uh, a lane or he might rush like a jumper. And that's what I, you know, that's what I was saying about Dennis Smith Jr. It's one of those things where it's, you know, just because you might have a look doesn't mean it's the best look. So there's definitely been enough of that to where it's like, he's just one of those guys where you don't know, is it going to be a good game or is it going to be a bad game? He's also a guy that recently hasn't started out well, but he's also, he's finished games better. He's sort of played his way into a game and you've seen him more effective in the third and fourth quarter compared to a pretty rough start in the first half. So he's, he's just so intriguing to me and I've seen so much good. It might be clouding the bad that I'm selectively deciding not to pay as much attention to. So I might need to do a little bit more of reflection on this before I come with a super strong answer, but just seeing what I'm getting out of Wayne Ellington and, and how inconsistent V has been it's just the one thing where it's like, well, I don't know. This is sort of a lost season. I don't see the harm in shaking it up a little bit. But at the same time, if you are going to be, if you're going to have that type of ton of vision, then you're not going to, that's not what a coach is going to sort of stomach, especially to start out a game. So I, I can understand where you're coming from as well. Yeah, I, I imagine, you know, he, Dwayne Casey probably doesn't want to, keep him with Dennis Smith Jr. for too many minutes because Dennis Smith Jr. can certainly have a, have a similar type of tunnel vision, um, which is, you know, not, I don't know if sad is the right word, but those two really should be able to play off each other quite well, I think. Um, and it's just not happening right now. All right, so we did have some technical difficulties right there, but um, we are now moving on to our next topic, which is Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant has uh, regressed a little bit recently, um, or a lot of it, um, depending on uh, your perspective maybe. Um, I think he is one of the people who has been most affected by Nolan Wright's um, absence and just the general lack of space in the paint. Over the last six games, he's he's still averaging 21.6 points, 5.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists. He does have 2.8 turnovers, which is um, a lot considering how, how little he was turning the ball over before. He's shooting only 38% from the field and 24% from three. He's making up most of it at the free throw line, though. He's, he's shooting 91% there, 
getting to the free throw line, 7.2 attempts uh, or times per game. Um, so, David, uh, I got a couple questions for you. Um, you know, any any additional thoughts as to why Jeremy Grant's struggling, and is is there any reason to worry about these struggles long term for him? So, I think my first answer is going to answer my the second question. Uh, I think so. One thing that we've noticed when you just watch coverage for the league is they talk a lot about the fatigue factor for uh, the, some of the teams that made it far in the playoffs last year. You know, you hear about it from the, about the Denver Nuggets. You hear about it with the, the Lakers, the Heat, and the Celtics. You know, all the teams that made it to their respective conference finals. Jeremy Grant was one of those guys. He was on that Denver Nuggets team. He certainly had, he had a very short offseason, shorter than... Definitely the Detroit Pistons, but then most teams that even made it to the bubble. So I think that a lot of this has to do with his fatigue from the shortened offseason and then also going from the role of third, fourth option, fifth option even sometimes for that Denver Nuggets team to a primary option with the Detroit Pistons. So those two coupling factors of playing forever last year, and then not only are you starting up very quickly, you're also now being tasked with being the alpha, I guess you can say, for this Detroit Pistons team. And I think that combination, you're just seeing it wear on him. You're seeing him, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm not necessarily noticing that he's losing like a little bit in his legs, but it, it just seems like with the way that he's shooting the ball right now, uh, that there's just a lot going into that where it just to me it just screams I'm tired and I need a break. So I think he's going to be one of the guys that are certainly going to benefit the most from this All Star break coming up. So that's why I'm not super concerned long term. Uh, just thinking about Jeremy Grant and his tenure in Detroit. Yeah, I think that's all uh, all, all good points. Um, the only thing I would add is just that, and we've talked about it on this show before. You know. Jeremy Grant's not uh, a number one guy long term. If he was, you know, then you you start to wonder about um, what exactly he's doing. But for him, you know, if he's making twenty million dollars as the third best player or third best offensive player, the third best option, and playing his usual great defense, which he's, you know, that that's faded a little bit, at least the the level of it, which makes me think a lot of it's just him being tired. Um, he's he's carried a lot of burden um, through through these this first half of the year, um, so yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't I don't think it's a problem, but it's it's certainly something to just keep your eye on. I think moving forward. Yeah, and one thing that I would like to see Jeremy Grant do a little bit less of he he's and it's part of the NBA, and you, you kind of got to do it. I think we saw it at the end of that Sacramento Kings game. That was not a foul on Harrison Barnes. He was straight north-south. That was clean defense. I would have been, if I were a Kings fan and that whistle blew, irate. Uh, Jeremy Grant does a little bit of the kick out, kind of out wide. He kind of like starfishes a little bit to to get foul calls. And it's not, he doesn't get those whistles that often. He gets his whistles when he's going into the paint. Sometimes he might get hit when he's going into the paint and he's not getting that call. But he definitely finds himself on his bottom lots of times, and that's like a fast break for the other team. So I would like to see him sort of 
cut that out a little bit. But all in all, I mean, I yes, I've been very happy with Jeremy Grant, and it's been impressive that he's been able to keep his production up, even though his shooting's been down. And you mentioned it, it's because his ability to get to the line and convert once he gets there. So those are all good things. That's what you want to see out of one of your top guys. So yeah, I'm I'm still still pleasantly surprised with Jeremy Grant, and I definitely understand why he might just be sort of shot right now and needing some sort of refresh. And, and just as you mentioned it too, the, the talent gap, the, there's just not a lot of help elsewhere on the floor. This team struggles with scoring the basketball. And right now he just doesn't have anyone that's even reliable on sort of a game-to-game basis. You know, you might get a good Josh Jackson game. You might get something out of Dem Smith Jr. But there's not a, many guys on this roster that have been stable in their production. It's more so like who's having the good night. And a lot of this burden is falling onto Jeremy Grant. And he's underperforming, I guess you can say. But it's a bad team. And they're just there's not too many avenues for it not to go that way. Other than you just hope that some of the shots start to fall a little bit more consistently. But I can understand why they're not. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that I would like to see him do more of. Um, because I agree with you in terms of kind of his... He, he sometimes tries too hard to, to draw fouls. He's been guilty of some of the same tumult, tunnel vision that we saw Josh or talked about with Josh Jackson. Um, be, and and it's it's extra hard because the 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 spacing just isn't there. The the space in the paint isn't there. And so I would just like to see him just be a little more decisive and shoot some more threes like right away. Um, he has a tendency to kind of maybe hold on to the ball a little too much before he shoots, I think. Um, and I would I would just like to see him shoot a little more. Um, maybe he'll find a, a better rhythm that way and <clears throat> make make some things happen because, you know, he, he, he can't always count on those fouls to, to be called. Um, and he needs to create some of that space himself. And the, the easiest way for him to do that, I think, is just to shoot a little more from, from the outside and, and make some more shots. Definitely. Um, he's been, I don't have the numbers pulled up, but I want to say he's been hitting the, the mid ranger too, from a pretty respectable clip. Um, or maybe uh, I'd have to look that up. It just seems like he shoots that a lot. And, and it seems to go in when I'm watching, that's my eye test telling me that, but also, as you mentioned it, he's hasn't been shooting the ball well, just in general. So yeah, I mean the Pistons by the next time we're recording Matt, it's going to be the all-star break. Uh, we got two games left this week, Raptors on Wednesday, Knicks on Thursday and then it's all-star weekend coming up here so we will uh yeah I guess we'll get to you guys then do you have any final parts or or parting uh thoughts Matt as we uh you know sort of head towards this all-star break um no it's been a it's been an interesting year I guess um or half of the year um you know I hope hope the the Pistons can can play that Raptors game because the the, you know it it's already been been rescheduled um, and um, because of some COVID issues. So, you know, we just again hope that everyone's healthy and safe and uh, that we can we can see some basketball on Wednesday. Certainly, and we will catch you guys all next week. Uh, follow Inside the Cylinder at Inside the C Y L N D R. Follow Matt over on Twitter at Way Matt H. I'm at the underscore Financiala. And uh, all new episodes on DetroitBadBoys.com and the Detroit Bad Boys stream. For Matt, I am David. We will catch you all next week. Peace.